Two is equipped. Three is eager. Four is expectant. Let me just describe, just define those real quick. Educated. I want you to be educated as to what the Bible says about these things. Uh, Paul begins 1 Corinthians 12 with this. Concerning spiritual gifts, I do not want you to be uninformed. Now, the Corinthian church, they believed in all the gifts. They were using them willy-nilly, probably out of control. But he even said to them, I don't want you to be ignorant about spiritual gifts. So I want us to be educated. I want us to gain an understanding from the scriptures about what these gifts are and what they're for, how they're to be used. Second E is equipped. I don't just want you to be edu- I don't want you just to receive information. The information is necessary, massively important, but it is incomplete. I also want you to be equipped with the truth and with the actual gifts. I, I mean, I actually want some people here to receive the gifts of healing so they can pray for people effectively and see them healed. I want people to actually receive the gift of prophecy and be able to speak in words of encouraging words to one another. I actually want people to receive the gift of tongues or interpretation and the gift of mercy and the gift of helps and the gift of administration. I actually want you to, to receive those as we go through this. The thirty is eager. Eager. If these gifts are for us, and you understand that from the scriptures, and we're to receive them in order to use them for the upbuilding of the church, then, then I want you to be eager to receive them. And I want you to pursue them and seek God for them. One thing that we're going to see Paul say a few different times in these three chapters he says a little, a little differently at the end of chapter 12, at the beginning of chapter 14, and at the end of chapter 14, but essentially, the same, striking the same note, he says, earnestly desire spiritual gifts. And it's not a suggestion. It's a command. He's commanding us earnestly or eagerly desire spiritual gifts. So I'm, I'm praying and seeking God and... and the aim is that we would earnestly desire them. And then fourth is expectant. If we're being educated on what the gifts, on, on what the Bible says about these, and if, we're, and, if, and if we're to be equipped and we have an earnest desire for them, then it, then it leads to, I think there will be a heightened expectation that when we get together, at the, it says at the end of 1 Corinthians 14, when you get together, each one has something to give. It doesn't mean everyone's going to stand up with a microphone. We, you know, we, but each one's going to come ready to minister and bless and encourage and build up the body. There's going to be an expectation that the Holy Spirit's going to move among us and work among us in different ways. So my prayer is that God unloads his grace upon us as we go through this so that there's a growing desire to be filled with the Spirit and used to minister to others. This is only, this is only going to be a good thing for you, for your neighbor sitting next to you, for us as an entire body here at Real Life Church. Before we get to 1 Corinthians 12, 1 to 3, and I will get there. I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time on that this morning, but I I will get there. I I just want to share with you some some pastoral burdens that I have as we do this series. 
Not a, I'm not burdened in the sense that I'm weighed down or discouraged in any way. Far from it. But I, want, I really want this series to glorify God. I want it to be a glory to God. I also want it to be a means of renewal for you and for us as a church. And finally, I, I want it to be helpful. I mean, the last thing I want is just for us to kind of go through this exercise of, of covering some chapters and kind of put a check mark next to that. We got it. And then really not have it help us on the ground. So my, my desires for those things. So let me just share with you some of my uh, burdens, for lack of a better way to put it. As we want, first, as we approach this, the subject of spiritual gifts, it's going to be very important to let the Spirit-inspired scriptures guide both our belief in and practice of the gifts that the Spirit wants to give us. It's going to be important that we let the scriptures speak to us about this and guide us and direct us in this. That might be a duh statement, but I don't think it is. I think when we talk about spiritual gifts, it it, it brings us into this realm of some unknown and some subjectivity, which which is good. But we want to be careful that we are basing everything on the objective scriptures. It is God's truth which sets us free and transforms us. And I think 1 Corinthians 12 to 14 is, like I said before, the go-to place in scripture which unpacks for us the work and ministry of the Holy Spirit through believers in the context of the church, and I would say outside the church as well. Paul says again in uh, 1 Corinthians 12, 1, I do not want you to be uninformed regarding spiritual gifts. He wants ignorance to vanish. And so, I encourage you, everyone here, if you grew up in more of a, with more of a cessationist understanding or not, I encourage everyone here to be open to having your thinking informed and or corrected by the scriptures. That's just humility that we all want to have before God's word, right? I mean, the, the one that God esteems, Isaiah 66, is, is the one who trembles at his word, who, who doesn't exalt himself over the Bible, but kneels before it, trembles before it. Second, or, or, or uh, yeah, let me just say more. Second, Even though there's plenty of correction in these chapters to a church, the church of Corinth, that is out of bounds. The church of Corinth, we're going to see, is a church that is out of bounds in their use, some of the use of the gifts. This, chapters 12 to 14, I just want to say emphatically, is not a treatise against spiritual gifts. Paul is not bashing spiritual gifts. Far from it. This is a pro-spiritual gift section of the Bible. I mean, check this out. If there ever was a church which needed to have their zeal for spiritual gifts quelled a little bit, you know, like just tone it down a little bit, it was the church at Corinth. If there ever, ever was a church that Paul would admonish, hey, your zeal for spiritual gifts, it's, come, it's gone to a feverish pitch. You need to settle down a bit. 
But he doesn't say that to them. He has correction for them. But even this church, who has earnest zeal for the Holy Spirit to pour out gifts upon them, he says to this group of people, earnestly desire spiritual gifts. He says, pursue love and earnestly desire spiritual gifts. He says, pursue, he says desire spiritual, earnestly desire spiritual gifts, especially those that build up the church. So there's correction there. But he doesn't want to tone down their zeal for the Spirit and for the gifts of the Spirit. Third, if you are here today, and I know some are not, so I want them to know this as well if they fall into this camp. If you hold to a view that the gifts are no longer for today, I just want you to know you will not be treated like a second-class Christian here. All right? I hope you're persuaded to see things differently as we go through this, no doubt. But you are loved and valued. Here. Fourth, God's word is infallible, but I am not infallible. And my interpretation of the Bible is not infallible. In other words, what I teach and what Reed teaches, this is where we land, and we are in agreement. This is where we land, okay? And by virtue of where we land on these things, on the gifts of the Spirit and what we teach regarding them, this is where the church, this is the church position on these things as elders of this church. But I realize that there will be some differing views. Probably. I think it's likely. We do not want to dodge any question. We don't want to we don't want to we don't want to skirt anything that these chapters present to us. We don't want to dodge any question that you may have. And so, I just say to you, would you be like the Bereans? In Acts chapter 17, Paul is ministering where was it at? Thessalonica? I'm not sure. can't remember. remember. And it says that the Bereans were a certain group of Jewish people that were more noble than the others. And here's why. Because when they heard Paul preach, they opened up their Bibles, which would have been the Old Testament, and they searched it out to see if what he was saying was true. This is the Apostle Paul. That is not a bad thing. That is a great thing. A healthy Christian and a healthy church does that. Not to pick fights, but because we want our minds and hearts, we want our body, this church, to be rooted and grounded in God's authoritative truth. So would you be like the Bereans? And if any questions come up, I just want to offer myself to you. I... You can ask me anything. You can email me. You can uh, corner me after church. You can shoot me a text. In fact, I'm trying to figure out a way to set up something where people could anonymously ask questions so you don't feel like, uh, oh my gosh, I have to... He, he has, he's going to know it's me, right? Um, so that's all of that is good, right? We, we want... We're, we're growing. We want to grow in these things. So... Let me just say, 
what I teach this morning, and as we go through this, I am going to teach with conviction. All right, because I try to never get up here and say anything I don't believe. That opening up God's word and and him hawing around and not really landing anywhere, that's not humility. It's unbelief, really. So I want to speak with conviction, but that that's not because I think I've got everything figured out. I, I don't. It's just when I, when I teach, I'm immersed in God's word and a certain passage, and I try to see where it fits in with other passages. That's how I approach it. So, so by all means, come and speak with me if you have any questions about things that are said, and, and, and read as well. And fifth and final for my burdens for this study is uh, the gifts, if they are for today, which I believe with all my heart they are, is to be, they are to be received and used. Received and used. Peter says in 1 Peter 4.10, as each one has received a gift, use it as good stewards of the grace of God. If you've received it, well, he, he just assumes every Christian has received one, at least one. So as each one has received a gift, use it as good stewards of God's manifold grace. And he goes on to say, whoever speaks, let him speak as one speaking the utterances of God. Whoever serves, let him serve with the strength that God supplies so that in all things, God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. So so the goal, again, is not to put a notch in our belt and say, well, we understand spiritual gifts now. It is so that you are equipped, you receive, have expectation, earnest desire to have gifts poured out upon you and us as a church and then use them for the glory of God through Jesus and for the good of the body of Christ. All right, that's, that's my intro, okay? So, 1 Corinthians 12. Why does Paul begin this section the way that he does. That's what I thought about more than anything leading up to today. And here's why. It seems to be out of place. Almost every scholar believes that the way Paul begins now concerning spiritual gifts, because he begins that way, as he begins that way in other sections in 1 Corinthians, that Paul is probably responding to a letter that the, Cor- the, the Corinthian church sent to him in which they had questions about different things. So the people here in this church had some questions for Paul about spiritual gifts, and Paul is responding to them. He says, Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, talking to believers, I do not want you to be uninformed. He wants this church to be informed. But again, if you're familiar with this church, the church at Corinth, you might assume that they did not, whatever they may need, and they needed plenty of things, one thing they didn't need was information on the gifts. They didn't need to be informed regarding the gifts of the Spirit. In fact, Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, so at the very beginning of this letter, verse 7, he says to these believers, you are not lacking in any gift. 
So apparently, the gifts were, and the Holy Spirit was working in such a way that all the gifts were being used. They were a church that believed and operated in the gifts. And so Paul wants to inform them, not probably not with new information, but he wants to give them an additional slant on what they might know. And I think it's certainly true that he wants to bring correction to their understanding. Here is Paul's primary concern in these verses, and I think it sets the stage for the rest of this discussion on spiritual gifts. Paul's primary concern is this, that the exaltation of Jesus as Lord is the touchstone of the Spirit's activity in the church and a person's life. The exaltation of Jesus Christ as Lord is the touchstone or the criteria or the the central issue of the Spirit's activity in the church and in a person's life. And I want to give you three reasons why I think that's Paul's primary concern here. And it's massively relevant for our use, our desire for the spiritual gifts. It's very relevant. Three reasons. First, to confess Jesus as Lord is a fundamental change in allegiances. Paul says in verse 2, he says, Now, you know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of Christ ever says Jesus is accursed, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. Paul wants us, wants the Corinthian church to know that to confess Jesus as Lord is a fundamental change, is to confess Jesus as something that changes your allegiances in a fundamental way. Someone might say, wait a second, but all Paul says is that no one can say. I could teach my two-year-old to say, Jesus is Lord. I could maybe even coax someone half asleep to say Jesus is Lord. An atheist, perhaps, they might be able to say Jesus is Lord. I mean, someone who has no understanding of God or, or hates Jesus could read off a piece of paper the words Jesus is Lord. Is, is that that big of a deal? Well, this seems to miss the radical nature of the confession Jesus is Lord for the earliest Christians. For these believers in the first century living under Roman rule to confess Jesus as Lord was a radical thing. It was to confess that, that there, was a, there was a fundamental in the deepest part of their being shift in their allegiance. It was never fashionable to be a Christian in the first century. It was not cool. It, it, would, not, it would not help you be promoted socially in, in that society. It just wasn't that way. The idea of your best life now would have been laughable to these Christians. No way. Best life now? My friend just got fed to lions. Doesn't sound like best life now. 
Therefore, to confess Jesus as Lord was no small thing. It was much more than merely or simply uttering three words, Jesus is Lord. For these Christians to confess and agree and be committed to Jesus as Lord immediately set them at odds with the Jews, for whom to confess such a thing was blasphemous, and it set them apart from their pagan neighbors, for whom there were many lords, many gods. It's interesting, in the, in the first century, really up, probably up until just before Constantine was emperor, Christians were often called atheists because they lived in predominantly Rome-controlled areas. And pagan Rome had many gods, many gods. They, didn't care. they really didn't care if you added Jesus to the thousands of other gods that they had. But it was when Christians would say, there is one Lord and he is Jesus. That they were at odds with the empire. And so they were called atheists because they believed in one God, not many. And because their God was invisible that you couldn't see with your physical eyes, they were called atheists. In fact, Polycarp, one of the early church fathers, he was the bishop of Smyrna in Asia Minor. When he was about 86 years, 85, 86 years old, something late in life. He's brought before a tribunal. He's going to be put to death. And he says, just say these words, down with the atheists. And he says, my Lord, I have served him for, for 80 whatever years. And he has done me no wrong. How can I deny my Lord, my King, and my Savior now? For these believers to confess Jesus as Lord was Massive. And so fundamentally, the confession of Jesus as Lord is about a change in the allegiances of your heart, of my heart, of their hearts at the deepest level. Jesus is Lord, not Caesar. And for you and I, it means Jesus is Lord, not me. Not me. Jesus is Lord. I am not Lord. Jesus is Lord, you fill in the blank, is not Lord. To confess Jesus as Lord means to submit to him. Lord means master. A master's subjects are slaves, bondservants, amen. Amen. Bond servants, bond slaves. He is a kind master, but he is a master. He is Lord. He is Lord. It means to, be, to have a commitment to listen to his words and to be obedient to what he says. So Peter says in 1 Peter 3.15, He instructs us, he instructs these believers really facing social ostracism and persecution. He says to them, in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy. So it's not the words, 
the three words, Jesus is Lord, that Paul has in mind here, but the reality of what that confession means. Think of when Jesus, when he was asking his disciples, who do the people say that I am? Oh, they're a prophet, maybe Jeremiah. One of the, and Jesus says, who do you say that I am? And what did Peter say? You are the Christ, the son of the living God. And what is Jesus' response is amazing. He says, Peter, flesh and blood did not re- reveal that to you, but my father did. I mean, that kind of like gut response, whoa, right? It's the reality of the lordship of Christ which gives rise to the bold confession, Jesus is Lord. That's what's in view here. Number two, to confess Jesus is Lord. Well, let me back up. So number one was to confess Jesus is Lord is a fundamental change in allegiances. Number two, to confess Jesus is Lord reveals the most miraculous gift of the Spirit of all. That might sound like a massive overstatement, but I don't think it is. Look at the phrase in verse 3. It says, And no one can say Jesus is Lord, except in the Holy Spirit. It's so, it's so easy to breeze over sentences like this in the Bible. We all do it. But that's a, that's a, that's a, there's a massive presupposition there that I think we need to understand. He's saying no one can say. In other words, no one has the ability to say. No one has the power, the innate power to say. No one has the, 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 the they're not able to submit to Jesus as Lord except by a work of God's Spirit. Another way this could be worded is one cannot say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. So we've already established the confession of Jesus as Lord is a change in the allegiance of one's heart, something deep and profound. Here we see that this is actually the result of a miracle. This is the result of a miracle. If Jesus is your Lord... The most amazing miracle of the Holy Spirit has taken place in you. I'm not saying if you can just say the words Jesus is Lord. I'm saying if Jesus is Lord of your life, something profound has happened to you. You might say, well, I don't remember having that kind of experience you know, like the Apostle Paul or something. I mean, just, I mean, mine was just pretty ordinary. Listen to how the Bible describes what happened to you. We should get our definition of salvation or what happened to us when we were born again from the Bible, don't you think? I think we should. Here's what Ezekiel 36 says, verse 25 to 27. This is talking about, this is describing the, the new covenant gift of the Spirit and what happens when someone is born again. I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean from all your uncleanness and from all your idols I will cleanse you. Verse 26, and I will give you a new heart 
and a new spirit I will put within you, and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you. And I will cause you to walk in my statutes and to be careful to obey my rules. Who's the the active person in all of these statements? It is God. I will sprinkle you. I will clean you. I will take out the heart of stone. I will put in the heart of flesh. I will give you a new spirit. I will put my spirit in you. I will cause you to walk in my statutes. If someone has, if you, if you just even think like, I don't even know how I got here, but I just know I love Jesus and he is Lord of my life. There is a massive miracle that happened in you. It is the most glorious miracle in all the world. So if Jesus is Lord, truly, you are the... If Jesus is your Lord, don't think of the person sitting next to you or the person in the back of your mind. They don't submit to him as Lord. If Jesus is your Lord, you, do you confess Jesus is Lord? If he is your Lord, then you are the recipient of a glorious work of the Holy Spirit. And it's the same Spirit that now indwells you and gives gifts. So, to confess Jesus as Lord reveals the most miraculous gift of the Spirit. Number three, to confess Jesus is Lord is the prerequisite to being used by the Spirit in ministry. It's the prerequisite to being used by the Spirit in ministry. You might say, really? Uh, I'm not talking about like perfect obedience or anything like that, right? That, that doesn't happen in this life. I'm talking about not perfection, but a, but, a, but a radical change in direction in your life. Let me give you two reasons. First, the gifts are given primarily for the benefit of others. The gifts are given, the gifts are given to individuals, you and me, primarily for the benefit of others. It does, it's not meant to, we are not meant to be a reservoir, but more like a river, right? We're, where the Spirit gives gifts and it flows from us to others. It doesn't just end on us. We are like a conduit through which God's blessing, blessing of healing or encouragement or help or mercy or administration or teaching or prophecy can be delivered to another person. That's the purpose of gift, the primary purpose of the gifts. Second, though, the second reason why this is true, that Jesus as Lord is the prerequisite for being used by the Spirit ministry, is that the gifts are for exalting Christ in the power of the Spirit. The gifts are for exalting Jesus. We can take this too far, but the Holy Spirit's main goal is to showcase Christ. It's to display Jesus. It is to glorify Jesus. It is to to help us to see Jesus. And he gives gifts to individuals so that we can 
engage in Christ-exalting ministry in the power of the Spirit. Spiritual gifts are not for exalting individuals, people, ministries. It's not for the sake of spiritual phenomena in and of itself. It's not, that's not what it's for. It's for the benefit of others. Gordon Fee, commenting on this verse in his great book, God's Empowering Presence, he says this, Whatever takes away from exalting Christ, even legitimate expressions of the Spirit, begins to move away from Christ. Let me say that again. Whatever takes away from exalting Christ, even if legitimate expressions of the Spirit, begins to move away from Jesus. And that's the last thing we want to do. That's the last thing you want to do. That's the last thing I want to do. That's the last thing we want to do is to move away from Jesus. We want to move toward Jesus. We want to to help other people move toward Jesus. And so the gifts are primarily for, or excuse me, it's for Christ-exalting ministry in the power of the Spirit. And so the lordship of Christ is the prerequisite to being used by the Spirit. There are two people here today, two, two kinds of people here today. There are some here today where Jesus is not Lord. You don't consider him in charge of your life, except maybe in some really distant way. You may say with your lips that Jesus is Lord, but your heart is far from him. If he only plays a minor role on the stage of your life, or worse yet, if he doesn't even make the cut, don't fool yourself. Jesus isn't Lord. And today, he extends his hands to you. And he says, come to me. Repent of your Christ-belittling behavior. Trust in my finished work on your behalf. Be filled with my gracious spirit and commit to following me, whatever the cost. Whatever the cost. There are others here, and Jesus is Lord. He is Lord of your life. You love him. It shows and it shows when you're at church and it shows when no one is watching. Not perfectly, of course, but it shows when no one's watching. He is pleased with you because he suffered and died for you to make you clean in God's sight. You love Christ. You want to obey Christ. Here's what he says to you through the Apostle Paul. Now concerning spiritual gifts. Later on in 1 Corinthians 12, earnestly desire them. Look for others around you that you can serve and minister and bless in my name with my power through my spirit. 
The Spirit wants to generously spread gifts among us. I want to, the Spirit wants to generously spread gifts among us. He wants to. He wants to. He wants to use you. He wants to empower you and strengthen you. In your home, of course, but here in the church as well and in your neighborhood. He wants to, he wants to strengthen and empower you and with dynamic power to serve and love and show mercy and bring healing and comfort and encouragement. All of these things. He wants to generously spread gifts among us. If Jesus is Lord... And I would even say, even if you're like, I don't know if I believe in certain gifts. Fine. You believe in some. Everyone does. Okay? If Jesus is Lord, say, give them to me, Lord, and show me where to deliver them. Give them to me and show me where to deliver them. It all starts with Jesus is Lord. Let's pray. Father,